0: I want you to know that I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. I have feet of clay. I'm a human being. I'm a frail child of dust. And as we seek God together, I'm of the mind of a saint that has gone on before us, Adoniram Judson. You know, when his wife told him that uh, a newspaper article likened him to some of the apostles. This is what he said. He says, I don't want to be like Paul or any mere man. I want to be like Christ. I want to follow him only, copy his teachings, drink in his spirit, and place my feet in his footprints. Oh, to be more like Jesus Christ. You know, we've been talking, and if you're visiting with us or a guest today, we, uh, we've been in the second chapter of Galatians for the last several weeks, and so we're going to finish up in, in Galatians 2 today. Um, and when we talk about justification, I know it's a big word, and when we talk about justification, we're, we're talking about being declared righteous before Almighty God. So that on that day when we stand before him, we are declared righteous because we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice alone. We have, we have believed him, that he is the son of God, that he came and he died for us. And we've, we've trusted in, in that. We've, we've accepted that. And when we talk about justification, it's, it's not a sterile term that um, produces only paper results. And really, these other messages that we've had in Galatians 2 are leading up to this one. And this, this really is the essence of what, uh, when we talk about the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, that's what we're sharing today. And it's this sweet fruit of justification, of being declared righteous before Almighty God. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he, he warned, he said, There is no repentance where a man can talk lightly of sin much less where he can speak tenderly and lovingly of it. Vance Havner said this, he said, A wife who is 85% faithful to her husband is not faithful at all. And he also added, There is no such thing as part-time loyalty to Jesus Christ. But oh, that's how our world thinks. I'm going to put on my glad rags and I'm going to go to church and then when I take those off when I get home I'm going to live however I want. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2 beginning in verse 20. He says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Huge statement. See, in our justification, we have life. The fact that we are justified before Christ... That he has declared us righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, saving faith expresses itself in obedience. Saving faith expresses itself in obedience. It's a faith, it is faith in action. It's not just a mental ascent, it is trusting our Lord Jesus Christ as the person who died in my place... And your place and turning from our sin and unbelief in order to follow him. We do, a, we do a 180, we come about face and we go this way to follow him in obedience. Folks, that's what saving faith does for us. It transforms us. See, it is a commitment that begins in simple faith and continues throughout your entire life. You know... I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was seven years old. I'm 52. I've had a long time to work on my theology. I don't expect children to have my understanding of what I know about Jesus Christ and what I know about God... ...at their age when I've spent half of my life studying. See, justification is when we are declared righteous because we accept Christ as our Savior. Sanctification is that process of building in the holiness over time. And hopefully we're getting better at walking closer to Christ than we have been recently. You know, it's a process where we're moving forward with Christ... I love this. But notice something about this. This life that is granted to us because of our justification, it's not necessarily corporate. Yes, we do have a church family, and it's very foundational to congregational life. But you need to understand something. A life that is justified is a life that is personal. It is a life that is individual. It is a life that is intimate. With Jesus Christ. And that's what I call the sweet fruit of justification. Because now we are reconciled to God. Now we have an an advocate. Now we have a mediator between us who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Praise God, I'm not going to get what I deserve. You know, this, this is huge because when we think about this, it is the, the logical presentation here of justification. Uh, Paul makes and explains that it's the root of every life in every believer. This, this, that's why I called it the heart of the gospel. Okay? is because it is the root that we build on. The whole basis of every moment lived as a Christian is founded upon this principle. And it's the very life of Christ... Being lived in us and through us because you now have a right standing before God. I mean, let me ask you, has this been your experience? Is this what you have experienced when you trusted Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? When we think about this, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ... To be crucified with Christ means that we, we are no longer condemned. Think about it. The penalty has been paid. We're no longer condemned. You know, right now, as of last month, there are 233 people sitting on death row in the state of Texas. That's 233 people who have been condemned to die for their crimes that they have committed. That's 233 people who will die unless the appeals process grants them a reprieve. That is 233 people who will die unless someone in authority pardons them and lets them live. You know what? That's probably more than's here today. But listen, we were sitting on death row. We were sitting on death row the moment that we committed our first sin. We were condemned to die. I mean, if you break one sin, you've broken them all. If if you've broken one, you've broken every other law, every other rule, every other regulation, every other requirement that has been written and put down in God's word. I mean, James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. You know, we hear news reports of people like Carlene Haygood. She's a woman in California who pushed her 89-year-old wheelchair-bound mother up onto the sidewalk, then got in her van, gunned the engine, jumped the curb, striking her mother pushing her 25 feet across the lawn into a tree, killing her. And we think, man, how horrible is that? Someone who would kill their own mother. She should be condemned to die. And as horrible as that crime is, we were criminals too. And we are condemned to die for our sin. Even if in our own eyes, we don't think it's as bad as murdering our mother. We were guilty of breaking God's law, almighty God's law, that carries with it the automatic death penalty. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, living as children of evil, of the devil, bound for hell and for all eternity. But through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, God looks at us as if if we had died with Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 2. I didn't mean this to be a Bible drill, but if you have your Bible and want to flip back and forth with me, I've got several uh, things we're going to look at through the course of this. But Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says this. When you were dead in your transgressions and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, really stripped the spiritual tyrants, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. I love that. Though we were on spiritual death row... Though we earned that because of our sin, the only authority in the universe who could have pardoned us did. Through sending his son to die on our behalf. Yours and mine. I mean, he forgave all our sins. That's a lot. That's a lot. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He destroyed the record by having it nailed to the cross. He gave us victory. <laughs> we're off death row. And we're no longer condemned. We've been pardoned. I mean, somebody say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah. We've been pardoned. We're not going to get what we deserve. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, to be crucified with Christ means that we are now free to live for him. We're no longer condemned, but now we are free to live for him. I mean, a person who's been pardoned and taken off death row would never want to go back there. They would not want to lose the freedom that has been granted to them. But they would want to be transformed so they could live a useful life. And they would want to show their gratitude to the one who had pardoned them. See, the the best news for, for all of us is we cannot lose the salvation that's been given to us as a gift. Because after all, we couldn't do anything to get ourselves off of death row. God's the one who saved us. He's the one who set us free. It was God who canceled the record of our sin. It was God who will keep us saved and free for all eternity. He is the one who does the saving and the keeping. See, it's all about him. It's not about what you do. It's not about how you earn anything. It's about accepting Jesus, the sacrifice for your sin, and making him your Lord and Savior. That's what it's all about. See, being crucified with Christ means that we are now free to live for him. Dr. John MacArthur, he said this, he said, The surpassing motive, the highest motive for all spiritual devotion and obedience is gratitude to the sovereign and gracious Lord. When you've been forgiven much, you're going to be very thankful You're going to be filled with gratitude for the one who took you off of death row. Knowing the punishment that you were going to receive. Since we can never go back on death row, we should have a deep desire to live a transformed life. One that's different from what it was before. And the desire to live for him comes from our tremendous gratitude for what he has done in pardoning us and giving us our freedom. You see, to live for Christ... In order for us to live for Christ, we must daily die in order to live. I mean, we must regularly crucify the sinful desires that keep us from following him. And they're out there. They're all around us. I mean, Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Jesus said this way, this, he said, If anyone wishes to come after me... He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. We have a problem with that. He's saying, follow me, deny yourself, crucify the flesh, follow me. See, we must daily crucify our own pride. Oh, and we are a proud bunch. We have so much pride. We think we know better than God. We think we can live however we want. We think we don't have to be accountable. We have so much pride. We have to daily Deny that and crucify the flesh. We have to daily crucify our own agendas, our own lust, our unrighteous anger, our unforgiving spirit. We have to daily crucify our gossiping mouths. We have to daily crucify our greed. We have to daily crucify our pursuit of the world's happiness and our sinful nature. We have to daily crucify our sinful nature that keeps wanting to come back. What does Romans 6 say? Romans 6, beginning in verse 11, says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you for you are not under law but under grace. We're no longer condemned, and we're now free to live for him. See, to live for Christ, we have his resurrection power available to us. We talk about the power that raised Jesus from the grave. That same power lives in us today. What what an awesome, awesome truth. I mean, think about this. God doesn't save us. He doesn't pardon pardon us. He doesn't set us free so that he can say, Now, Ridge, you go do the best you can with what you got to work with. That's not how it works. He doesn't set us free so that we can do the best on our own power and our own strength. He doesn't turn us loose and say, You're on your own. He doesn't free us so that we can just go do whatever we need to do. He frees us so that we can live for him so that his power can flow through us. That's why he frees us. It's ridiculous for us to think that we can do things on our own. Because it was the power of the crucifixion. The the power of his death that saved us. And it's the power of his resurrection that enables us to live for him now. I mean, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says, And what is the surpassing? Greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. And I love that because it says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. (laughs) It's God's grace that saved us. And it's God's grace that empowers us to live for him. It's all God's grace. You can't do it on your own. Over in Titus chapter 2, Titus writes this, verse 11. Paul writes this to Titus. He says in, in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. God's the one who gives us the grace to live for him. You know, probably the greatest confession we could ever make is I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Ridge who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. I mean, look here. The most natural instinct, our most natural instinct, our strongest desire, the basic fabric of human existence is the will to survive. The will to survive But you need to know something. I don't have to survive. I've already died. I love this. Because as Christians we're supposed to have been crucified with Christ. And now living our lives in and for him. But this is in conflict with the way most of us deal with our life on everyday basis. Listen, the desire to survive, I know this is cutting real close to the corn, but the desire to survive keeps us at a mediocre level. Mediocre means average, it means unexceptional, it means ordinary, it means second rate Because of our desire to survive, it keeps us at a mediocre level because we won't step out on faith when God leads us to do something because we think we have to survive. But if we've already died to self, we will take that risk because God is leading us. We live our life in and through Him. I don't have to survive. If He takes me home tomorrow, His church will continue to move forward. I look at this and I think, you know what? It causes us, our desire to survive keeps us at a mediocre level. You know what mediocre is? It's the opposite of excellent. The antonym to mediocre in the thesaurus is excellent. See, our desire to survive also eats away at our convictions, and we are willing to compromise. You know why we compromise? Because we think we have to survive. We think our opinion matters. We think it's all about us. And it's not. And we end up compromising. Because here's the deal. We may understand the Spirit of God. And we may may be filled with the Spirit. And we may see God work in a miraculous way. And you know what? Then we grieve the Holy Spirit. And the the Holy Spirit withdraws from us. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to fake it so that other people don't know that. You see, our desire to survive causes us to live mediocre lives, but it also causes us to compromise our convictions. It leads us to make decisions that will please people rather than God. It drives us to excuse our ineffectiveness and hear me now our lack of fruit. It also robs us of the freedom and joy that are found in Christ. And it hinders us from complete obedience to God. I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I mean, how crucified are you? How crucified am I? How crucified are you? Can we say that? Can we say with the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Ridge who lives, but Christ lives in me. See, Jesus is not just part of my life. Jesus is my life. There's a big difference there. Paul wrote it this way in Philippians. He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I mean, why is Jesus so precious to me? Well, he rescued me from Satan's kingdom. And he placed me in God's kingdom. He purchased my freedom and forgave all my sin. Jesus Christ is supreme over all of creation. He's supreme over that. He created everything and he holds it all together. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Why is he precious to me? Because of all the above. But how does that view of Jesus affect my life? How does that view affect what I do every day? (laughs) It causes me to be full of joy. Even when things are tough. I may not be the happiest person, but I have joy in my heart. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. You know, it causes me to pray instead of worrying or fretting when things come up. It causes me to change my thought patterns. I can't dwell on the things I used to dwell on. Because mostly they don't please God. But it changes my thought patterns. But this view also causes me to draw strength, which Christ provides. There's a deep, deep well there. And I go back to the well when there's a need in my life. I'm not asking any man to fulfill that need. I'm asking God to fulfill that need. I'm going back to the living water. Because that's what truly satisfies us, is the living water. How do I demonstrate To others that Jesus is my life. This is very key. Because this is applying what Paul is talking about here. How do we demonstrate that? By being careful how you live. By being very careful about how I live. By making the most of every opportunity I have to do good. By trying to understand what God wants me to do. Instead of living for myself. ...and acting thoughtlessly. Folks, we see that all around us in the world. People living for themselves and acting thoughtlessly. Not thinking through the the implications of their actions... ...of what that's going to result in. I can also demonstrate this by being filled with the Spirit in my life. Spending time with the Master, abiding in Him... ...by expressing heartfelt worship and praise... You know, as we gather to worship, whether it's public or private, we give him the adoration, the, the, we, the, the exaltation that, that he deserves as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One of the ways I demonstrate my love for Jesus is by being a loving and respectful husband to my wife. She knows that I love Jesus by the way I treat her. Also by being a godly and loving parent. All of my kids know that I love Jesus and that I love them. I also demonstrate this to others by doing my work with excellence and enthusiasm. This is what God has brought us to. He has has partnered us all together in this family. What a joy it is to work beside you all and to walk the journey with you. And thank you for walking the journey with us. But how crucified are we? Let me boil this down, I'm almost done. The reality of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us at the cross must become a reality in our lives every single day. The fact that Jesus Christ pardoned us with his sacrifice needs to be a reality that we see in our lives every day for other people. I mean, this is the heart of the gospel. Love God. And love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. See our union with Christ is something that can be seen. Because a justified sinner. Will live a transformed life. They will be different. There will be something different about them. But you see Christ lives in you. Understanding the work of Christ increases our capacity. To apply truth to our daily life. I mean, the world, they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to know that they're a sinner and they're going to hell. They don't want to know the truth that Jesus Christ came and died for them. That he can actually, they can actually be part of this exchanged life, his life for yours. I love this verse because in this verse... Paul uses the present condition and he uses the word now. And the life which I now live emphasizes the present reality of our condition in Christ. That it's not pie in the sky, it's not something coming later, it's here and it's now. I love that. I mean, we're dependent on Christ for everything. And the Christian life is life is, is, is a faith life from start to finish. Out of death comes life, but it's not our life. (laughs) It's the life of Jesus Christ being lived in us. That's what Paul meant when he said, for me to live is Christ. How crucified are you? Can you say that? I got an object lesson. I'm going to pull it out of my pocket here. It's a glove. It's an old glove. And you know what? This glove won't do anything on its own. It's dead. There's no life in it. It's nothing is going to happen. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches... If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to know why God's not doing anything in your life, maybe it's because you're dead. Here's the problem. A glove cannot do anything by itself. It needs a hand to fill it. And when the glove has a hand inside... It's enabled to do a lot of things. Productive things. Bearing much fruit. But without the hand inside, the glove is dead. And that's just like our spiritual life. Without the life of Christ empowering us, we can do nothing apart from Him. As long as we remain in Him and He in us, then we will bear much fruit. But apart from Him... We can do nothing. See, life in Christ is that sweet fruit of justification. Being declared righteous before Almighty God.